Thanks for listening to The Office Podcast, a mashup of my favorite TV show and mental health. I am so glad you are here. And you know what? It's time to shake things up a little bit. Let's get things going. Let's get energized. Everybody, so how are we going to energize our office? I mean, I haven't done anything since Christmas. Pam clearly has just given up trying. So what we need to do is we need to get things going. We need to get percolating a little bit. Anybody have any ideas what we could do? Any suggestions? This episode is a conference room meeting where I take your calls. Distractions are good. That means conference room, five minutes. No, no, five seconds. Right now, right now, conference room. Topic, hopefully, let's go. Our first message is from Jessica. Hi, I've been thinking about going to a therapist to work out some things, but I don't know where to start. How do I find a therapist that will be a good fit for me? Great question. It's awesome that you are wanting to start therapy. Having been on the other side of the couch myself, I know it can be really intimidating to try and find someone that is going to be a good fit for you that's going to be helpful. You could start by first asking family and friends if they have recommendations. Next, try searching psychology today, or if you have insurance, go to your insurance website. You can also call your insurance and they may be able to connect you with someone in your area. As far as fit goes, see what you can find out about your therapist before you meet with them. Most therapists have a website or Instagram or Facebook account. Take a look at what they post to see if it resonates with you. And most therapists will offer a free phone consult at least so you can ask questions. Some of the things that you can ask are, um, what kind of training do you have for my situation? If someone comes to you in X situation, where would you start? Do you love the office? And if their answer is not, absolutely I do, you know they're not going to be a good fit for you. But really, they say successful therapy is mostly about the relationship you have with your therapist, regardless of the techniques you use, which is really kind of incredible, considering how many different kinds of issues there are and how many techniques there are to treat them. What it really comes down to is the trust and relationship that you have with your therapist. No, you're not going anywhere, okay? You're angry, and we are going to hear you out. All right? Because business is about relationships. And the key to relationships is what, Daryl? Loyalty. Loyalty. So if you find someone, go a few times to get a feel for it. It's been said that within the first 7 to 10 seconds of meeting someone, we size them up and feel either we can trust them or we don't trust them, which is also really interesting. But um, go meet with your therapist a few times. If they say something that makes you uneasy, talk about it with them. If after a couple of sessions you really feel like it just isn't working, then try someone else. There is a therapist out there for you that will be a good fit. Well, actually, uh, no, Miss Van Helsing, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to meet you, see if we'd be a good fit. What do you mean? Next question from Zach. Hi, Laura. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question. I have a loved one who I really think could benefit from some therapy, but I don't know how to bring it up because it's kind of a sensitive subject. And I have a feeling that if I do bring it up, there'll be some resistance because 
there's a stigma against that kind of thing. So how do I approach it? And then how do I convince someone that it's okay to seek help? Thank you. Thanks so much for your question. And I think you're right. I think there still is um, stigma about mental illness, about seeing a therapist. You could start with just telling this person positive stories. You've heard about how therapy has been helpful for people, um, offer to go to a support group with them, offer to help them find a therapist or shop for a therapist, maybe even hold an intervention. Here we go. Everybody gather up. An intervention, it's sort of hard to describe, but really it's, it's a coming together. It's a surprise party for people who are, who have addictions and you get in their face and you scream at them and you make them feel really badly about themselves and then they stop. You could also say, I'm listening to this awesome podcast about mental health and learning so much. You should give it a listen, but in all seriousness, you should let them know you are comfortable talking about mental health. Sharing any struggles you may have had can help them open the door to talk about what's going on for them and they may feel more comfortable seeking help. But the bottom line is you can't be responsible for anyone else's mental health. So just do your best to plant the seed and then let the other person take it from there. Just as you have planted your seed in the ground, I am going to plant my seed in you. The next question is from Audrey. Hi, huge fan of the show. Um, my question is, I have ADD and anxiety, and I'm wondering how to get over the guilt that comes and the anxiety that comes with not being able to keep up with mothering, wifing, and household responsibilities. Thank you. Look forward to hearing this. This question is so good. Thank you so much for sharing and for asking here. First of all, I'm going to say you are the wife and mom that your family needs. And I want to know what your guilt is about. I'm not sure. It could be about keeping a clean house or keeping the schedule straight, but I think a principle that might apply here is radical acceptance. My first order of business, accept. An article by Karen Hall on Psychology Today has a great definition of radical acceptance. She says, radical acceptance is about accepting life on life's terms and not resisting what you cannot or choose not to change. Radical acceptance is about saying yes to life just as it is. Say you feel sad and hurt. Suffering is what you do with that pain and the interpretation you put on that pain. Suffering is optional. Pain is not. It's difficult to accept what you don't want to be true. And it's more difficult to not accept. Not accepting pain brings suffering. Imagine that you are late for an important job interview. Traffic is especially congested and you are stopped at a red light after red light. Raging at the traffic lights or the drivers in front of you will not help you to get to your destination sooner and will only add to your upset feelings. Accepting the situation and doing the best you can will be less emotionally painful and likely more effective. With acceptance, you will arrive at your interview less distressed and perhaps better able to manage the situation. 
When you practice acceptance, you are still disappointed, sad, and perhaps fearful in such situations, but you don't add the pain of non-acceptance to those emotions and make things worse. Practicing acceptance in these situations also helps you prepare for more difficult circumstances. Life gives us lots of opportunities to practice acceptance. If you have a problem that you can solve, then that is the first option. If you can't solve it, but can change your perception of it, then do that. If you can't solve it or change your perception of an issue, then practice radical acceptance. I really like how that article summed up radical acceptance. And I will definitely concede that radically accepting that you are not the wife and mother you thought you would be is much, much harder than radically accepting that there is traffic. But the benefit from doing so can be the same. You can let go of some of the skill and frustration you are carrying around. I often compare mental illness to physical illness. Dumitrell. Yes? This is a pill I found here in the office. But it's not for worms or eczema like any normal pill. It's not for any disorder of the body. It's for a disorder of the mind. The mind is part of the body. And I often specifically compare mental illness to diabetes. I have diabetes too. You don't see me making a big deal about it. A diabetic could spend their days feeling guilty that their body doesn't make enough insulin, feeling concerned that their body isn't working right, but we probably wouldn't advise them to do that. We would advise them to deal with the problem by taking insulin, watching their diet, etc. Similarly, try not to let the right read unattainable ideas about being a mom and being a wife get in the way of the strengths that you bring. Deal with the issue and take care of yourself, whether that means taking meds, going to therapy, etc., and live your best life. Thanks for listening to The Office Podcast. This show is brought to you by Lara Perry, LCSW. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe and share. All clips included belong to NBC. The losers in HR require me to say that this podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice. Please join our community on Instagram at the.office.podcast.